everywhere you go. Refreshes without filling. Why? You carry the fun with you. I never cease to wonder at the many ways scientists have learned to improve on nature. To think just what that means. Of course, it means many things. Each one is a masterpiece of design and beauty. But first, here is your announcement. It's time for the Geeky Brummy Podcast. Hello, welcome to the Geeky Brummy Podcast. Joining us today, Miss Keith Winfield. Hello, everyone. Miss Lee Price. Hello. Uh, Mr. Matt Lovell. Hello, everybody. Full house again. How have we all been? Matt, what have we been up to since we last spoke? Oh, other than work, I've mostly just been playing Warhammer Total War 2. Um, something about the mass genocide of different races has just been really cathartic. <laughs> with all the stress of like Christmas and work. Are <laughs> you imagine them all with orange faces and blonde hair? Absolutely, yes. <laughs> so, um, yeah. Right, so I used to play Warhammer 40k Dawn of War quite a lot. So I'm assuming this is similar, but is more of a Total War kind of style Yeah, it's more of a Total War kind of thing, but um, what I like about it compared to um, the standard Total War is A, I like the Warhammer universe because it's ridiculous uh, in its own right, but also B, it strips out a lot of the um, overworld map. Uh, where there's a lot of like politics you have to deal with like people's happiness and that kind of thing it's a lot more simplified but it ramps up the fun element of the fighting and the um the different factions and the laws really good so it's just and it's one of those kind of games where you can just duck in and out whenever you want to so for, for me recently i've not really had a lot of time it's just been nice to go in, do a couple of turns, really chill, and then go back out again. So the orcs just have like one button to press, which is just war. <laughs> the orcs are brilliant because their entire ethos is just fight everything. Fight everything. Fight each other. Just fight, 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 fight. fight. Take yeah. over as much as possible. Uh, it's just brilliant. <laughs> it's one of my favourite things in the Warhammer universe, that if anybody else tries to use orc technology, it doesn't work because it's just their belief that it can blow it up is the only thing that makes it work. Yeah. They literally just hit stuff with hammers and it works. And no yeah. one knows why. They don't know why, but it just works. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I mean, I, I've not played enough Warhammer. It's been a long, long time since I've played Warhammer, but it's always looked like a fun universe. And I'm sure Games Workshop make enough money out of it, considering they're bigger than the entire UK's fishing industry, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. And um, a new a new expansion just dropped, um, and that's kind of added a couple of new uh, sort of races, factions, and mechanics, which has just kind of elevated the game. And it's nice because um, with Warhammer, with the original Warhammer uh, Total War game, Sega kind of messed up a bit where they were doing things like charging full price for a gore add-on and that kind of thing. So it's nice they're actually giving quality DLC mm-hmm. that's keeping the game going. Like it should be in the first place. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Lee, how's your last few weeks been? All right? Do you look kind of exciting? Um, it's pretty much just more of my uh, kind of end-of-year stuff that I've been putting together. So like my advent videos and stuff that's coming up. Here and there, um, what I've actually played that hasn't been for recording purposes. I have been playing a lot of surprisingly Forza. Um, it's the one that I played for an Advent video, and I've been playing it since I recorded that video. <laughs> the drivey drivey game. Yes, <laughs> I do genuinely have like an interest in racing games. They're not like kind of my primary genre, but I do enjoy them. Mm-hmm. Occasionally, and because this is on Game Pass, it's like I haven't actually had to spend any money on it, so that helps. <laughs> That's good. I mean, I've got Forza Horizon that came with my Xbox One X because I think it was just one of those throwing games. But um, it's nice actually driving around the UK in that game because mm. you realise everywhere you drive is on the wrong side of the road in every single racing game until you mm. play Forza Horizon. 
And you like you keep driving on the wrong side of the road, even though it's the right side of the road for us. Because you're like, I've been programmed. Yeah, I do want to try out um, Rising Core just because, just because of that, it just gives you the UK to just drive around. So that is one that I've got my eye on. But this one's Motorsport Seven, so it's basically mm-hmm. just lots and lots of races. Um, so I'm definitely better with some cars than I am with others. Yeah, uh, there are some races that have just been horrendous. Uh, like I can't do Formula One type vehicles at all. Every time I do those races, it's just a yeah. nightmare. <laughs> well, I think we learned about my skill with racing games when we visited the boxes launch at the back end of last year. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that that didn't go very well, if I remember. <laughs> many many spins though. Yeah, I'm surprised at how well I did on that one, to be honest. Mm-hmm. Because just, especially because you had to manually change the gears, and every time I play a racing game, it's like no automatic transition transmission. Yeah, I know how to change gears in a real car, but don't ask me to do it in a racing car. It's like no idea what I'm doing. Yeah, it's always a weird button they assign the gears to as well. It's like never the button you expect it to be. It's like I wouldn't know. I've never had the one. (laughs) Click the right mouse stick. Why? Even like the sort of. You get the the mod things that you can attach that get you extra credits in the races, and it adjusts certain settings and things. And every single one that's like, uh, um, fixes it to manual transmission. I'm just like, no, that I'm gonna sell that one. So uh, <laughs> I, I'm not gonna risk that. It's free money. It's free money. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah, check out Lee's epic cover the series. It's all of Bob the Pet Ferret on YouTube. Something some. Mm-hmm. Amazing videos the last few weeks. I enjoyed your pain playing FTL. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, FTL, FTL was kind of fun, even though I was just like just bad at it. It's like, it's like I said when I posted it. Um, you know, it was the time I was a spaceship captain. It was going really well until everyone died. <laughs> um, like, like... And then someone in the comments pointed out, it's just like, oh, you do know you can target their weapon system. Like, I realized that towards the end of the edit. I probably should be doing stuff like that. <laughs> but no, it's like engine all the time. It's just like, you do know you can target other things and that might help. <laughs> yeah. It, it's one of those games I remember when it first came out, I picked it up on Steam. It was like rather cheap at the time. And it was one of those where it's kind of, you have to play it for at least three or four hours to understand how not to die in the first yeah. three minutes. Yeah, it's one of those annoying roguelikes as well because you can't even keep your stuff like they've done with Hades. Mm-hmm. Recent release where the roguelike where you can actually improve every gameplay. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, that one that one was definitely an interesting one just because so many things that I just had no idea what I was doing. Sometimes that's the best time to play a game yeah. though. Just go straight in, no tutorial. Yeah. Don't I know. Mean, what... I did do the tutorial. It only told me like half half of the mechanics. <laughs> Keith, how's your week or two been? I won't start with the the guilty secret, Mm -hmm. Um, but based off talking about FTL, I signed up to a a beta for a game from a company called Thunderbox Entertainment called The Captain is Dead, um, which I was sold off by the fact the video was basically like Star Trek but on fire. Um, (laughs) So it was just like a, a, a spaceship that was kind of like falling apart and everything was on fire. Uh, and I thought, yeah, that looks quite good. So I've signed up for the, the beta on that, um, which I think is due soon uh, for the machines that I can play it on. Um, but that looked that looks quite entertaining. I thought, yeah, I, I could quite happily, you know, destroy a starship by putting things on fire and not doing it what I should be doing. Um, so that looked quite good. Um, but the other thing that I did do was by choice, nobody forced me to do it, I watched The Meg with Jason Statham. Um, okay. And I watched it all the way through, and um, yeah, that was, it was a film with sharks in. All right, that or Deep Blue Sea. Oh, Deep Blue Sea by a country mile. Yeah. Well, it has Samuel L. Jackson in it, so it should have yeah. won. But... Yeah, the um, the Meg promised more than it delivered. The Meg sounded um, like it should have been on the Sci-Fi Channel and produced by the Asylum. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It was glossy and and you know, what it just didn't have enough shark danger. 
everything was in a distance and they were all on boats. It's like you, you needed to be more submarines. You needed to be on, you know, there was some promising things in here, but they just didn't capitalize on on the whole thing. So, you know, there were some bits where you went, yeah, it's okay. For but, a second, when you said that like they were at a distance, I thought like the whole film was on land. <laughs> but, yeah, they might as well. <laughs> just like they're going, boo, shark, boo. <laughs> and then the shark comes out on tiny little feet. Like a, yeah, tiny little legs. If, that, if it had been a sock, like a ginger, that would have happened. Yeah, I was going to say, it's like a ginger. <laughs> 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 but it, it was it was diverting enough, and it wasn't Christmas themed. Yeah, um, so that, that was that was fun. Beautiful. Any other exciting activities? Uh, no, I I think I, this week I revisited my Animal Crossing island first time in a while, mostly inspired by Hellman's mayonnaise. <laughs> Why? Uh, yeah, because they were offering if you get if you went to the Hellman's mayonnaise island and dropped off. Um, rotting turnips they were making donations to um people who um were in need over the christmas uh, holidays that's um, pretty cool so that was pretty good yeah. uh, but i also got the opportunity to um, build my first snowman to which i did not sing the famous song from um frozen frozen <laughs> while i did it and that's what i'm claiming keith let it go says anything differently let it go keith let it go <laughs> 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 yeah. Although you know, Frozen Two is on my on my watch list on Disney Plus, so I will get to that at some point. Was it was it a good snowman? Was it a bit of a scruffer? He he was he was okay. He came alive and started talking to me, and has challenged me to build the perfect snow person. Wasn't that like a film? Which was a horror film and a kids film at the same time, both Jack Frost. Just, was it Mr. Yeah, Frost. Jack Frost with Michael Keaton. Yeah, there was Jack Frost with Michael Keaton, and then there was another Jack Frost movie, if I remember, at the same time, which was a horror. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that one. Yeah, they were very similar released years, if I remember correctly. Imagine picking them. Yeah, wrong one. It's like the alternative movie uh, Frozen, which is about like people dying on a ski lift or something like that. (laughs) (laughs) Completely different movie. Don't get those mixed up, you. Six-year-old daughter. Yeah, <laughs> back, back in the day when you went to the local VHS shop and they just had the boxes with the yeah. words scrawled on the side, then that's when you would have got that wrong. And it just as frozen, you just went, "Yeah, that's the right one." Yeah, that. It doesn't matter that it's an eighteen. <laughs> what did you do this Christmas? I traumatized my children. <laughs> How about you, Ryan? What did you get up to? Uh, so between hiding from my wife, lovely wife who's watching all the lovely Hallmark Christmas movies, which seem to have one plot shared between all five billion releases of them. I've been playing too much Cyberpunk and re-watching Enterprise and now for Series 3, which is basically when it started to get good. So I've had to sit through two seasons of reasonable Enterprise episodes, but I've just watched the Zindi arc, which was like, it's all about the Temple Cobble. But then it had a really good chance to do quite well, and then got killed off before it's time. And then, yeah, no Star Trek for a decade. I agree. I kind of think like Enterprise was kind of the right thing, but at the wrong time, it mm. wasn't, it weren't ready for a different take on Star Trek, I don't think. Yeah. Yeah, I think it, with having like a full season story arc as well, with like the whole Cindy Delphic Expanse, that one that I just watched that whole third season. And that felt very much like more like the modern discovery and shows that we continue to expect where there is like that end like in the beginning story arc. Whereas Enterprise and DS9 and Voyager at the time were more we'll have a story arc of about three or four episodes and then we'll have a couple of monsters of the week and then back and forth. Can I ask you a question about the Hallmark movies? Yes. And this is mostly to just see where, whether my TV is broken. Is that I've had a few on in the background, not my, not me personally, but my partner's had a couple on, mm-hmm. particularly Christmas twenty four. <laughs> and the other day, I think there were, we were flicking between that and a film on BBC Two from the nineteen sixties, so t- forty years difference. Yeah, is are all these Hallmark movies made in such a way that they've shot them in log, and then nobody's colour graded them afterwards, <laughs> so they're all really washed out and nasty. Yeah. And there's no contrast in them whatsoever. So what they do and is they film them all in Vancouver in summer, 
and then digitally try and make it look like winter, which is why they let they just yeah. bleach all the colour out of it. It's like there's there's no actual like dark. In, it's like it could be nighttime. It could be they could be inside with a. Yeah. With a it's like there's, there's no contrast in it. It's like this is the the flattest pictures I've ever seen. And every time I go, is our TV bust? No, uh, we flip to another channel, and it's like yeah, that's that's more real. I'm sure they all have exactly the same set, which they've been reusing for every single film. So they only have like two weeks to film them all on in one week in August. So they just like get them in, get them out, no color grading, edit back yeah. out. You got like you got like three months to get this film turned around from start to finish. Yeah. So what, you're saying, so what you're saying is is that the crowd scenes in those movies are not actually extras, it's all just the other films being filmed. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it, it does it's kind of like it's a great thing to watch because it's like it's it's a TV and movie graveyard. You'll see like actors from shows that you've liked in the past when ten, fifteen years ago. And that's where they all turn up. Sarah from Chuck turns up in quite a lot of these. As does like Adam Baldwin and people like that. It's kind of like if you've got no other no other path left in your career and you don't want to do the convention scene, you can just do Hallmark movies for the rest of your career. Hasn't Melissa Joan Hart been in a few of them as well? Yes, yes. Yeah. And one of the less famous stuffs. Yeah. That, that's the other thing. If you if you've got a famous sibling, you're more than likely to be able to get into one of these movies. <laughs> like Fred Savage's brother turned up in one of them. <laughs> I like the fact that you can't get Fred Savage, so you just have to get his brother. <laughs> Fred's been doing something. I've been, we've been watching a, a Netflix show called Dash and Lily, mm. where most of the episodes are directed by Fred Savage. Um, and I think that that's it's produced by Brad Silverberg, who did the Lemony Snicket movie. That's quite good. That's a very Christmasy thing, and it's in color, mm-hmm. so like the, the it's not it looks real. It doesn't look like it's your, your TV's bust. It doesn't look like they smeared Vaseline around the lens. Yeah, <laughs> it's like I've some episodes of Star Trek. Of like you go, that's got more clarity and definition. Some some of these Hallmark movies. Yeah, watching back um, Enterprise on a four K TV uh, recording in digital at the time that they did has not treated it kindly. There is like a massive amount of film grain on that. It's a really good, real shame because, as I said, it kind of picked up and it's hard to see like it's nearly 20 years old now when you think about it, when this was released and it's kind of how how was this 20 years ago? But But yeah, Hallmark movies are void if possible, which which is really hard to do because they're everywhere now. I turn on Netflix, they're there. I turn on Amazon Prime, they're there. We all, we all talk about classic Christmas movies. We watch Shop Around the Corner, which is what you've got mails based on. That getting into the Jimmy Stewart season, ready for its wonderful life in a week or two. Just gently easing me into that Jimmy Stewart period. I might try and get them to watch Rear Window as well. I, <laughs> I was going to say, there's quite a lot of Jimmy Stewart movies that aren't very Christmassy. Yeah. I was immediately thinking of Vertigo. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think we might just have a Jimmy Stewart season for Christmas. <laughs> Longest day, and that's all we've got on Christmas. That's four hours of your life. <laughs> so, all been quite busy, all been very geeky. And now it's time for the Geeky Brummy Pool List. It's a short and sweet pool list this week as there will only be a few titles coming out over the festive period. First up, I have Excalibur number 16 from Marvel, written by Tinney Howard with art by Marcus Toe. Verse 16, the sword is sheathed. The team is left changed in the aftermath of X of Swords and some things lost cannot be replaced. Hopefully in this issue we'll find out what's happened to Betsy Braddock, the current Captain Britain. In the week after Christmas, we have Rom, Dio Wraiths number three from IDW. This is written by Chris Ryle, Sal Bushima with art by Guy Dorian. In this third and final issue, it's 1969. The secret Earth satellite safeguarding the moon landing is infested with Dio Wraiths. Worse, the Wraiths now have transport to Earth, and the crew of the first moon landing can only stop them by making the ultimate sacrifice. Plus, the special ROM backup with art by Guy Dorian Sr. and ROM legend Sal Bushima concludes in explosive fashion. A thrilling conclusion to the return of ROM. Also from IDW, we have Star Trek Year 5, number 17. This is written by Jackson Lansing and Colin Kelly with art by J.K. Woodward. 
at last the super-secret origin of Gary Seven. Who was Gary Seven before Aegis turned him into a time-traveling secret agent? What exactly does Aegis stand for? Answers are revealed and secrets are exposed in this fully-painted, standalone spy thriller. And finally from Marvel, we have X-Men 16, written by Jonathan Hickman with art by Phil Noto. X of Swords Fallout. The Captain Commander of Krakoa made a fateful decision. There's no going back. It'll be interesting to see what happens next for our Merry Mutants. If you've a bit of Christmas money to spend on the graphic novel, here are a few that I suggest you pick up. First of all, I have Hawkeye Freefall from Marvel. This is written by Matthew Rosenberg with art by Otto Schmidt. From Ahoy Comics, we have Billionaire Island by Mark Russell and Steve Pugh. From DC, we have Superman's pal Jimmy Olsen by Matt Fraction and Steve Lieber. Also from DC, we have Far Sector by N.K. Jemisin and Jamal Campbell. And finally, of course, from DC, I suggest you pick up the collected editions of John Constantine Hellblazer, written by Soy Spurrier with art by Aaron Campbell and Matthias Bergara. I hope that you're all having a lovely festive season, and now it's back to the main show. Right, so this episode, we thought we'd bring you some highlights of what we've 2020. It's been a bit of a write-off year in many accounts, but there's been some gems to come out. So I'll be looking at a bit of TV, film, streaming, music, and gaming. And some of our personal highlights that we'd like to share with you. I'm going to be dictatorial as always, and go first. So, let's start off with my TV show of the year, which you've probably guessed it's going to be The Mandalorian. And we're going to go with season two, because season one was officially released in the States last year. But season two is definitely a 2020 show. And it has been some of the best Star Wars since the original trilogy, in my personal opinion. I really enjoyed every single minute we've spent with Din Djarin and Grogu. It's just pure Star Wars. And John Favreau and Dave Filoni really hats off to the both of them. So can't really say too much more than that. I mean I know Keith you're a big fan as well. Um, yeah. Lee, have we convinced you to start watching yet? We've got on Disney Plus, so that's <laughs> Santa might bring you Disney Plus this year. <laughs> yeah. It's been an amazing run this series so far. And I can't wait for season three. So yeah, I mean, so for me, I'm, I'm 54 up now to the latest, and um, I, I can agree. I think as well, you can tell all the characters, they're all comfortable with what they're doing, the stories are comfortable, and also there is that camaraderie, so you get characters popping and out, but um, the kind of, the settings, the storylines, that kind of thing, is nothing distinctly different, as opposed to the first series, there was a few episodes that seemed a little bit way out from the main storyline where everything is a lot more tighter focused and fluid but it shows like you said it shows a lot more of the star wars universe outside of his jedis his lightsabers his light and dark it's a lot more um polarizing i think which is just quite nice yeah i mean and dave filoni big star wars legends fan that is is bringing quite a lot back into canonization like he did with rebels and he's done clone wars but um, he's, he seems to be cherry-picking some of the best of what it, the Legends universe, as it was deemed, had. Stuff like the Dark Troopers, the Dark Saber, bringing back Grand Animal Thorn, like he did in Rebels. He seems to be very carefully picking the bits to bring back into the main canonization, And they're all working quite well with each other. I mean, and as you said, it's a lot more nuanced, I think, this series. I mean, the last episode which we watched from spoilers if you've not watched it yet with Bill Burr's return his character has been amazing and it's great that they can reference back like we've had with Fennec Shand and King Narwen bringing the characters that were established in season one and we thought were going to be throwaway characters bringing them back into season two and fleshing them out has been really helpful and it really helps establish that in the universe a little bit more rather than having to constantly bring in a brand new celebrity each week which Kind of, it did feel like a bit like that in series. Season one, there's a bit of stunt casting and stunt directing, where it seems to have settled down a bit more now. And we're getting some proper character actors rather than just celebrities being thrown into roles. Yeah, uh, and I think as well, 
again, mildly spoilerish, but not having the child always present is, I think, quite strong as well. Because much it is a good character, there, there's less leaning on the oh look at him doing cute things. It's there's a lot more, mm-hmm. um, you know, going on around him as opposed to just having loads of camera time. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And bringing Boba Fett back as well would be an amazing bit of thing. I know Keith was probably hoping that he'd get blown up in the, the first episode of his return. But I'm enjoying Tamora Morrison being back on screen. He's a great actor. I've seen him in other stuff outside Star Wars. And he's a really, really strong actor. And it's like he never really got that much screen time as Jango Fett. But it's nice to see him be able to like be a bit more involved in the Star Wars universe. And considering he played a billion clones, <laughs> he didn't really get that much screen time himself. It's it's nice that they've not lent on that character. It's still the Mandalorian. Mm-hmm. You know, the name of the show is the Mandalorian, and Boba Fett is just supporting the rest of what's going on. Yeah, and I, I quite I think I was probably overly flippant and I think if anybody else had been doing that show other than Dave Filoni and um, John Favreau they perhaps would have leaned too much into we're bringing Boba Fett in to capture the fans but I think they because those guys understand the world so much they've gone yeah he can just do what he does and that's fine you know Mm -hmm. we haven't got to lean on him he's not our Star Wars crutch because we're confident enough in the characters in the world that we're creating that we haven't got to lean on the legacy um, stuff too much. Yeah. So it's been good that he's just he's just has done what he needed in the background and hasn't been pushed into the kind of centre of what's going on. Mm-hmm. So I kind of, I kind of like it. Yeah, it's been good. It's been fun as well, and it's still encapsulate that space western, that kind of um, lone wolf and cub kind of yeah. mangry feel to it. It's still got that kind that that slow progression. And I think it's nice they just continue the chapter numbering rather than saying season one, episode one, season two, episode two, which is what the default is where they're going from episode one to 16. And it's pretty much, it's a continuous story that you don't have to worry about having filler episodes as much. And I think there's only been really one filler episode series with The Passenger. I think pretty much all the rest have been pretty much it does feel very much like an RPG, though. It feels very much like the structure of, oh, I need to get there, or I need a new ship. So it's like, oh, you can have a new ship if you kill this person for us in the background. Uh, and they will give you a bag of gold. Uh, it does have enough have that structure to it. I have heard this, that like the whole series feels like he's he's got a main quest, but he keeps getting distracted by side quests. Yeah, definitely. It's very side quest heavy. I think so because it makes me want to go back and play like Lots of Republic and that kind of thing where you just kind of you land somewhere and you've got no Russian quest and suddenly the next minute I'm doing someone else's washing and I'm like, oh, how did I, how did I end here? But it's still quite fun. I'm still enjoying yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah, it's like watching the main character of an RPG and I think having Din Djarin not take his helmet off a lot fulfills that everyman role a little bit more. Mm-hmm. I still want to know where him and Boba Fett got their armour repolished between the uh, Razor Cre- Razor's Crest getting blown up and then going to find Bill Burr. <laughs> like, took it, it was like one of those paint shops in GTA 4 where you drive your car in and it gets resprayed and he just comes back out after 20 seconds. But it has been great fun. And video game pick of the year, and there's going to be no big surprise here. It's Cyberpunk 2077. I mean, I did go through the list of games that have been released this year and I did think about some of the ones that have been played. So, like, I played Troy quite a lot at the start. I, uh, well, Animal Crossing, I'm assuming, is going to be on somebody else's list more than likely, and some of the other games. But although it's had its troubles, and I am grateful I am a PC player, very much so that I'm not experiencing the bugs to a certain level as what other people have, it, the game world is completely captivating, and the design and the art and the structure and the music and everything that builds the world around what is somewhat a bare-bones game at the minute is so enthralling that I'm itching to replay it every time. I mean, if I, if we weren't recording, I'd be playing it now, basically. <laughs> it is completely enrapturing in how you play it. And as I said, there's 
I agree there's plenty of work to do. And I feel sorry for all those people who have picked up console versions and are struggling <laughs> so much because in the PC version that I'm enjoying, it's great. It's fantastic. And it looks beautiful on my PC as well. So I'm just going to be smug about it now. <laughs> but, it, it is why you built the um, Behemoth this year. Yeah, uh, I think you knew that you were waiting to play. Um, it was designed for work, Pete. <laughs> ah, yes. <laughs> <laughs> but work as a cyber gun runner. Yes. I mean, it's, it's been absolutely fascinating, and the storylines, and the plotting, and the scripts, and all the little vignettes of story that you pick up throughout the game. I mean, there's little chips and shards with little bits of the story, and you'll get some of the backstory. And it's very much based off that Cyberpunk 2020 TTRPG. That's pulled a lot of that through, and there's some really great little interactions that you see. And there's been some hilarious bugs along the way as well. <laughs> uh, not denying that, but considering this is CD Projekt Red's first real game outside of Gwent and The Witcher, you can see what they were trying to achieve, and they've they've fallen short of the mark. But I hope they manage to rebuild a bit of confidence when they get some people back and they've already like put a roadmap out saying major patches in January and February. But we'll we'll see how, what comes. But for me it's been an absolutely enrapturing enthralling bit of game to play. And I really if if you can play it in a way. And uh, Stadia is apparently a really good way to play it if anybody does own a Stadia. Lee Lee hold back the shop Lee <laughs> <laughs> Apparently Stadia is the best way to no, play I the have, game. I have heard this <laughs> Yeah, but I'm very, very happy and I'm enjoying every minute I spend in Night City. My game of the year is, again, it's not really a shock, uh, but the reasons why, um, hopefully we'll kind of explain it, it's The Last of Us 2. Um, in terms of game releases, there's not really been a, a lot, um, to be honest. A lot of it is is COVID related, but also when you've got big behemoths like Cyberpunk, like Last of Us, other games kind of shy away obviously because of sales and that kind of thing but what i liked about the last of us 2 was the narrative storytelling not just the main narrative where you've got characters from number one um coming back but also the way the story progresses and you actually you go into the game thinking about one thing and rooting for certain characters and then towards the end of the game you've got a whole different perspective on not just them, but their relationships and even like the first game and how that played out. But also the big thing for me, which I loved and I haven't really seen other games, but I'd love to see more of is just the general world building. Um, going through um, abandoned cities, but you're seeing all these little stories as you go along. And it's not just from um, the the notes you read or that kind of thing. It's the actual scenery um, where there, there was one bit towards the end of the game where you sneak into an apartment and you're reading a couple of notes and it's from, it's it's this one family talking to the family next door and then they're talking about escaping and it's, it's a really enthralling little story that's just there. You can completely miss it, but it's just there. And it, it, again, you can walk into these random houses and you can see based on what the posters are, how the beds are, how they left the place, you can really get a feel for it's like a living, breathing world. And you just don't get that as much. Um, and that's what I enjoyed more of. And I spent a lot of my time just exploring the entire landscape, just seeing that. Um, and the story on top was was brilliant. Um, again, spoiler free, but some would argue that it kind of maybe have gone on a little bit too long. But actually, from a narrative viewpoint, and as someone who's <laughs> who like who loves story, I can kind of see why they did it. So there's there's, there's an interesting thing with Last of Us Two is that its story. There's a lot of stuff that it does really that I think is actually genuinely clever. And there's a lot that I completely understand what they were going for, but I did not like the story at all. And it's 
it's a the way that I've described it is that it's a fundamentally flawed story told really well. Yeah. So there's just like I think part of it for me was that I just didn't connect with a lot of what was happening. Um, I didn't really connect with Ellie's motivations in the early part of the game and in the later parts of the game with other characters. Didn't really latch onto them very much. And it wasn't like yeah. like you see online where people just outright hate some of these other characters. I just genuinely just felt nothing for them. They were just kind of there. <laughs> and like I absolutely appreciate a lot of what they were going for, but for me it just kind of fell a bit flat overall. Yeah. Um I mean the world building, like you said, is is excellent. Like I know exactly which bit you're talking about with the um the the notes back and forth. I did think, you know, that first game did a lot of that as well. And I think, you know, the fact that they brought more of it into the second game is good. But I think for me, the second game was lacking a lot of the heart that the first game had. And yeah. that's where my problem is. Is it a bit like the difficult second album there? Because, well, didn't one of the game the heads leave? But like the two producers of the game. And it's kind of left one of the two to finish the story on his own. And missing that 50% of the input, maybe, is what's affected it. I, I, I think as well, like, I, I do agree with Lee because it's that kind of thing like it didn't necessarily need to be told I think mm-hmm. the story at all um, for me it was just more I enjoyed the other bits that isn't the main point of the game if that makes sense mm-hmm. um, and can I just say petting a dog is really nice and they really <laughs> don't think very well and I just spent yeah. ages playing petting a dog <laughs> but again yeah, it's more how they, they do that for us <laughs> exactly and it's, it's more how showing not the telling kind of thing um, whereas I've played other games that have kind of been in a similar vein and they are, they haven't got the balance right, it's been a lot more telling or you're reading blatant notes that are blatantly telling things where it, with last person use the scenery that kind of thing, so it's more the elements of that I would like to see more in other games mm-hmm. um, and my second thing kind of cheating because the album came out in 2019 but I discovered it in 2020 and it's an artist called Liz Lawrence and it's an album called Pity Party and um, I discovered Liz Lawrence uh, this summer and what really grabbed me about this album is she's it's very much a millennial album and by that I mean um, she's a 29-30 year old artist all of her songs in this one album, Pity Party, um, are quite sort of self-aware and dry humoured in a way. Um, so I'd point to two particular songs on the um, album, one which is called None of My Friends Are Okay, and everything from the music video to the lyrics are just all about um, those little nuances about growing up you're not really you don't really clock it so um for this one song she goes uh, you know i talk to you twice a year on your birthday and christmases and we connect over capitalist memes you know and that kind of thing or um you call up to cancel uh, our plans but that's fine because i want to cancel them too you know and it's just that kind of really self-referential but kind of funny uh, little nuances that I've discovered as I'm entering my 30s I kind of have with people um, and similar to another song on her album uh, Navigator it's an, it's another song where it's reminiscing of they've actually done quite a lot for you and you haven't realised and she's basically saying I'm sorry for being a bit of an idiot you know and I think just in this kind of year where we've had a lot of time to kind of sit there and self-reflect it really kind of just felt good to listen to it <laughs> you know it's Lawrence pretty party go and check it out yeah I've never heard of it it's now on my Spotify list to listen to it so I look forward to that one and the album title seems very apt and appropriate for a 2020 album even though it was released last year <laughs> It's um, it's, it's a very sorry. It's like musical style. It's a very kind of indie, but it's a bit of like electric theme as well. Um, kind of kind of a mix, and the way she does it is just very dry, humoured. I think, and especially the music videos as well. So again, like I said, um, none of my friends' music video 
she basically uses a lot of the, the memes back in 2006 or, you know, like, that kind of thing in interesting ways, and it's quite a nostalgic trip, to be honest. And now I just feel old, nostalgic for the mid-2000s. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and that's exactly, that's pretty much all that she's doing. It's like, kind of, like, nostalgic. Oh, look at this. <laughs> but in a positive moving forward kind of way. Uh, it sounds really interesting. I'm looking forward yeah, to that one. I'll give that a listen. Firstly, I'm not. I'm not going to mention comics at all, um, because I'll I'll oh. cover comics. I'll cover comics more broadly in a post on the Geeky Brummy website. So if you want to find out what I thought of the comics of the year, uh, then go and check out our website, where that will pop up at some point if it's not already there. Um, but I haven't made the list yet, so like you know it'll be at some point. Um, but I'm gonna I'm gonna focus on um, two things. Um, two things that brought me joy um, from from a, a visual sense um, so I'm going to pick uh, my film of the year which is re- a really weird thing to do considering there's hardly been any films released um, officially this year but it was one that I was looking forward to this year anyway uh, and I, I kind of um, used uh, some friends in America to help me get hold of it but um, I'm going to pick Bill and Ted Face the Music um, because it was uh, a film I was looking forward to, obviously, uh, Keanu Reeves is in it, but also Alex Winter. Um, and it, it was a film that kind of just uh, took me back to those days of two stupid slackers living in San Dimas, um, trying to make their way through the world with this um, weight of they were going to solve the world's problems piled on top of them. Uh, and even though the, the, the previous film, Bogus Journey, kind of ends with them um, kind of breaking the world and you know doing big shows and playing on mars and all the rest of it um i liked this film by the fact that they 20 odd years later still haven't done it that they haven't written the song that will bring the world together and make everything good uh and they they just approached it in such a way that that kind of um really addressed that whole idea of like the expectations everybody has placed on them by everybody else and how that can affect how you live your life by not living the life that you should but rather living the life that everybody thinks you should um and they kind of come to that realization at some point during the film and they do have um grown-up daughters in this film and there's something about the kind of the whole family uh idea of like you know the problems that were created by our generation will be solved by the next. And the film ends in, in, a, in a kind of in a way that you just go, they couldn't have done that 30 years ago or, to, you know, however long it was since the last Bill and Ted movie, but it works now. And it kind of really felt right for the characters, the world that they they created in those movies. It was a film that didn't end up feeling forced in in a way that some sequels do when they get to the third one and it's kind of like, you know, we've got to make these characters relevant in the 20, you know, whatever year it's in. But Alex Winter and Keanu Reeves slip so easily back into these characters. And it's just it's just sweet and joyful and playful and and riffs on the whole kind of like, you know, these are just two ordinary guys from San Dimas who have got a life to lead and you know that they've they struggled to find their place because they thought they had this legacy to live up to that had been kind of given to them by Rufus in the first film and it's just really nice it's just really sweet and I genuinely enjoyed the whole thing and it was like you know I I may have welled up a little bit towards the end um but it's 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 it makes you teary in a good way not a sad way you kind of like you just really go yeah this is this is the way the story of Bill and Ted should end, um, and it was really good. And the music's kind of funny and cool as, and stuff as well. And they they do all this really random stuff, uh, and they get to dress up in various alternate versions of themselves. Mm-hmm. So it's all it's all, all a good good way of doing things. Um, but yeah, it's just it was just a really nice, sweet movie that you kind of go, yeah, I'm I'm glad that these characters are still around and that they're doing something interesting with them. It was a, uh, it was a big worry for me revisiting after such a long break. And usually that kind of length of a break in something doesn't work. Um, there's been plenty of examples of that. So 
Do you think it lived up to the wait for it, the anticipation of the 30 years in between? Um, yeah, I think it did. In, in a sense that it didn't try to overreach itself. It went, we're going to tell a fairly simple story about two fairly simple simple guys. Um, and, you know, it just, it, it, play, it riffed off of, of what went before, um, but had enough new thoughts and ideas that you, you that you could you know engage you in a, in, a, in a different way and um the use of the use of the, the two daughters uh, um were just brilliant they, they were really good um you know the, the mannerisms and everything was was really cool so it was good i'd, I'd recommend if you have any love for um bill preston or um ted logan definitely check it out mm-hmm. oh, cool and my second choice um, strangely enough, is a, is a TV show which had its second season debut on BBC One, I think, this year. And it was Ghosts, which comes from the team who uh, did the first five seasons of Horrible Histories uh, and then went on to do, I think, two or three seasons of a show called Yonderland that went out on Sky, uh, which featured a, a character who lived in, um, I think it was King's Heath. You had a door that led to the mystical world of of, of um, Yonderland, uh, and basically it's just a haunted it's a haunted house story um, with various ghosts from different ages who have died in various ways who have been um, kept in Button House, which is the kind of central location that's become that's been inherited by the lead live actor, like live in the series sense. Um, but it's just great. It's funny. It's wonderful. You know, all of the characters are really engaging. Uh, you know, they're such good performers. Um, you know, that everything they've done, I've really enjoyed. Their writing is really spot on. Um, and it's it's just fun. It's it's again, it's in the same way as Bill and Ted. It was you feel for everybody in that show, and as they slowly reveal people's backstories and how they got to where they are and, and the, the kind of things that they've had to go through. You can't. You genuinely like love those characters, and you kind of, you know, you really root for them. And even though they're ghosts and stuff, you kind of go, "Yeah, I'm, I'm rooting for you guys to, you know, get 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 the best out of life." Um, and it's just filmed so well. It's just it, the perform performances are brilliant. You know, most of the leads from um, get to to be two or three characters uh, in the same way that they kind of did in the previous shows. Um, but they're they're just they're they're just you know so good you know that they're, they're definitely kind of a group of performers who I would definitely put in the same kind of um, areas as kind of like the goons or the Monty Python crew that like you know they've got such a good comedy um, writing and comedy performances um, that you know they should be you know superstars and they did a they did a film a few years back called Bill um, which nobody really saw because it kind of got marketed as a kid's film but that's really funny and witty so if you get a chance to see bill that's the william shakespeare one really yeah it's based it's based on, on william shakespeare you know he's just a layabout um, just happens to be able to write good plays but that that's really funny as well but they're, they're so witty and, and just funny and it's everything so kind of like light and and you know just really it's it's, it's quintessentially english in, mm. in a good way it sounds like such a simple concept yeah. in the way it's described, but it seems to be, as I said, I watched most of the first series, the rock stuff to catch up on, but um, it, seems, it has a lot of heart, and yeah. lots of comedy shows don't have that anymore. It's more about antagonising the main characters or cringe yeah. comedy, whereas this just seems to be one of the more classic, it will have slapstick gags in it, We'll have cleverly written gags, and we won't we won't mess around trying to be hu- yeah. trying for this the hu- humour of the obscene. This year, particularly, it was like a, a warm blanket to snuggle up with, and I, you know, yeah, you feel comforted by you know it was a TV show that it was a, it was comfort TV. Cool. And that's on BBC iPlayer. I actually kind of struggled to come up with like a game of the year for 2020. Um, I think largely because like last year I played Control and immediately went that's game of the year. 
uh, this year, nothing really left that impression on me. Um, most of the big stuff that I played, I found too many flaws for me to want to call it Game of the Year. So, like, Final Fantasy VII Remake is really good, but there's way too much filler in there. Um, Last of Us Part Two, like I've already said, that you know I had some issues with the story and it didn't really connect with me. Resident Evil Three was like an accurate um, remake of Resident Evil Three in the sense that I did not like it as much as Resident Evil Two. Um, and uh, so, what it ended up coming down to was like my favorite game of the year. When I actually sit down and think about it, like the game that I enjoyed from start to finish is Ori and the Will of the Wisps. Um, just because everything about that game is just great in so many different ways. Um, you've got, you took the formula of, of Ori in the Blind Forest from a few years back and just kind of built heavily on everything. So it's still that same kind of Metroidvania gameplay, but like the mechanics of it are a lot more fluid. They're a lot more enjoyable. There's a lot more stuff to do with your abilities. Like in the original game, you're mostly just kind of firing like weird sprite energy everywhere whereas now you get like a sword and lots of different abilities and things like that and i swear there are more like traversable uh moves as well so you can like just you can pretty much go through the entire game without ever touching the ground and that's so much fun when you can get to do that um and it looks gorgeous and the score is just beautiful all the way through the game probably probably my favorite score of the whole year from any game um and I think as well, one of the big, big improvements that it had is that the forest where it's all set is a lot more populated. So it kind of feels more like a world that you can be a part of and there's characters to interact with. And just like as soon as you kind of enter this, this area and these little kind of fox creatures appear en masse and just start talking to you and it's, it's adorable, but then you kind of, you click with all these little woodland creatures that are just they're just trying to get on with life but things are going really bad and you just kind of, it, it feels more alive than in Blind Forest it was as great as Blind Forest was but it's just it just it's just such a heavily improved sequel and it's probably the game that I had the most enjoyment out of this year um, but it's also one that kind of has been overlooked a lot just because of so many other like you said, Matt, there's a lot of big games this year that have kind of stolen the spotlight, but I feel like that's just kind of been a bit of a sleeper hit that it's kind of turned up a lot on like year-end lists and stuff. It's always like slightly lower down and you kind of get the feeling that just people are aware of it, but then they just don't want to call it Game of the Year, but for me it kind of is. So, I mean, there's still a bunch of stuff that I haven't actually played from this year that could have potentially been a contender, but you never know. Um yeah, I think Ori and the Will of Wisps is, is easily my game of the year and when I start breaking it all down. But yeah. Yeah. But it, it's as you mentioned, those games do get added overshadowed. It's like mm-hmm. the nice games, the to, to paraphrase to paraphrase a little bit, the non shooty shooty banky mm-hmm. banky games always yeah. seem to get overpowered by the, the latest Call of Duty release or yeah. whatever whatever Ubisoft have pulled out the recycle bin this <laughs> this year. I'm trying to think what it came out near. I think it might have been like, I think Animal Crossing might have stolen attention from it. Mm-hmm. And Doom as well, because that would have come out the same day. Yeah, I think probably came out around the same time as those two, and I think just it got kind of lost in the shuffle a bit. But mm-hmm. it was definitely one that I was interested in playing as soon as it was announced because I really loved the first game. So definitely, it's also one of those uh, where it's like kind of games as art. Uh, kind of argument because like you said everything about it was kind of beautiful from the fluidity of the gameplay to the actual art to the music yeah. mm-hmm. uh, so it's, I've not played it but I've played or in the Blind Forest and then I got a similar kind of vibe from um, Child of Light a couple of years mm-hmm. ago because it's again it's that kind of mm-hmm. every single little piece has been thought about and put together beautifully so yeah I completely say that yeah but yeah, like Will of the Wisps is just, it's Blind Forest, but they've improved everything. So, um, And then I was trying to think of like one of the other categories, and I think kind of my album of the year is a bit of a 
weird one to describe as an album because it isn't yet, but it might be. Um, so basically, there is a musician on YouTube goes by the name of Miracle of Sound. Every year, he basically puts out songs throughout the year based on games he's played or sometimes other media, like he's done a bunch of Game of Thrones songs and things like that. Um, and what he'll do at the end of the year is he'll take all the songs that he's done from that year and collect it as an album. It, I haven't heard anything about him doing that this year yet, but this is usually the time when he would have done it. I think he's gotten distracted by Cyberpunk, in all honesty. Um, <laughs> but like this, if, we, if we are to consider the songs that he put out this year as being level 11 of his work, I'm going to say that would be my album of the year. Um, there's... It's, there's not a lot of songs on there because he's, he's kind of reduced his output but improved every song he puts out. So he's like he spends more time on each song. Um, and he's done songs based on Assassin's Creed Valhalla and Hades. He did um, a metal song about uh, just sort of Irish folklore just for the hell of it because he felt like doing it. Um, but the sort of standouts for me um, are his two Final Fantasy VII songs and his Disco Elysium song, both which came out this year, well, all of which came out this year. Um, so the Final Fantasy set, what he, one of the things that he always does is he kind of takes the soundtracks to the games that he's inspired by, and you can always hear that in the songs, even though he doesn't directly take from the soundtracks. Um, and you can definitely hear it in his Final Fantasy VII ones. Um, the one track through life and loss that when it reaches the bridge of that, it really does sound like the boss boss theme from Final Fantasy seven. It's like a similar sort of guitar riff and everything. And it, it's great. Um, but the song when forever comes was his theme for Aerith. So it's a very kind of almost like a Disney princess ballad type thing, but you can definitely hear her actual theme from the game in there. Like you can, I think um, I left a comment on the video release of it. And he did actually respond to me at the time saying that like he did take the chord progression from that theme. And you can definitely hear it in there. And it's basically just a very a teary-eyed ballad just about Aerith and everything. And his Disco Elysium song, Liquid Nights and Disco Lights, is just brilliant. It's, it's a weird combination of just being really catchy and danceable and really, really sad at the same time. Like The, the music is very kind of disco-y, but the lyrics are, are basically just existential dread as, as a lyric, and it's very very much like the game it's based on. Um, and, you know, it, there's, there's a line in it that sort of sums up both the theme of the song, but also the game itself, which is, I can't recall a thing, so why do I feel so sad? And it's definitely how the game feels a lot of the time. Um, but at the same time, even though it's sort of this disco thing, you can still hear some of the, the kind of very kind of sad, mournful type of stuff you'd hear in Disco Elysium, which so in a way it almost ends up being a disco remix of British Sea Power, because they're the ones who did the soundtracks, Disco Elysium. So uh, and there's definitely like things like little things like he sneaked in there like a guitar riff or like just a synth pad that runs in the background. You're just like, oh yeah, I can hear the Disco Elysium soundtrack from that, even though the disco stuff isn't really from there. Um, but yeah, like he always would say these really good, um, good things that just heavily draw from the from the, the source material without directly copying anything. I'm still trying to work out how a disco version of British Sea Power would sound because they're not two things that would sound normally yeah. you would put them together. That's honestly how this song sounds because he's just because he's clearly drawn from that soundtrack, which is basically just British Sea Power remix their own songs into a soundtrack and just put it all to the disco beat kind of thing. And it, it's it's really good, but also there's some other good stuff on there, like he's got the. Big Guts and Bigger Guns, which is obviously his Doom Eternal song, and just other things like that. So, yeah, even though it's not been properly collected as an album yet, I'm sure it will be at some point, um, I would say that that is probably my album of the year. So basically anything that Miracle of Sound has put out is in 2020, which will hopefully be a level 11 at some point. <laughs> that sounds very cool. Some, some Lots of stuff that I've not had a chance to play or listen to or watch. 
people. It's nice to see that a bit of variety and diversity rather than the most basic picks, which I possibly have to which are the two big seasons a year. <laughs> I mean, mine was Last of Us, so... Yeah. <laughs> I tried to not get Last of Us. Yeah. <laughs> it has been interesting that none of us went for Animal Crossing, considering it was one of the biggest titles at the start of lockdown. And, and I think it was pretty much everybody's coping mechanism at the start of that. Yeah. I don't know where the switch was. Think- uh, I'll just go and play Animal Crossing. I think that Animal Crossing is, I will absolutely call it, the most important game of the year. Yeah. It's not the best game of the year, but it's the most important game of the year. Yeah. Precisely because of when it released and just how people use that as a coping mechanism, like I said. Yeah. I I know for me, um, for a few people that I'm aware of, um, it was kind of just like this is basic therapy for people. It's like, Mm. go and shut down, stop. Shut up all the side and just go and live in Tweeland for an hour or two and just relax. I don't think it was doing anything revolutionary in terms of the Animal Crossing franchise, mm-hmm. but I think it was it was it was a matter of timing for that game in terms of why it was yeah. so popular because it was something that people could just disconnect from the reality of COVID Britain and escape, and and I think that's what. That's why that that game appealed. Uh, I think if you're still playing it now, and I imagine a lot of people have stopped playing it because it can become quite repetitious in terms of what's going on. But I think like I think Leech bang on the money with with the importance of it rather than than it being the best game of the year, mm-hmm. um, which is kind of interesting. And, and and his choice of Ori I think is really good because for me that that's a game that takes me back to what I would say are traditional games. So mm. for me, it's very, very much of the kind of games that I loved from the kind of 8-bit and 16-bit eras. Of It was about the gameplay and the progression and not kind of being able to throw a thousand polygons around and become, you know, have this immersive real-world environment. I do, I do love a game that is beautiful and ethereal and, and draws you, and, you know, it has a magic to it. I think yeah. or, or both the Ori games have a have a have a magic to them. I mean, it's definitely telling that like the genre for Ori uh, takes its name from a game from 1994 and a game from 1997. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I think all of our examples have all been a little bit about escapism as well, mm-hmm. and it's been being able to drop into stuff that's perfectly crafted and can take you away from the world for a little while. It be it music, uh, TV, or gaming. Or anything at the moment, and it's it's been it's been a great year for some creative things to come out. And at the same time, it's been an awful year for a lot of people. And the ability to escape into their hobbies has been for me. It's been a massive stress reliever personally, and I'm assuming it's been a lot of the same for a lot of other people. And you know, I'm just glad there's been some good quality stuff coming out this year. That's kind of eased the burden a little a little bit on us all. Mm-hmm. God, that sounded maudlin. <laughs> <laughs> go, go play things. Go, go choose. <laughs> no, but it, you, you are correct though. It, it's been a strange year all around, and I think people have been using a lot of media as escapism this year. But I think the fact that things are so connected, and we've got so many options in media, and we've got such a diverse range of things. I mean. Just putting together like the most notable games of the year list for me personally, it's it's kind of astounding to see just how varied things are in gaming alone. So you know the fact that there's pretty much something for anyone at this point, and it sort of shows that kind of it kind of shows the importance of art, I think, overall. Definitely, definitely, and I think they all have been examples of art. And right, Cyberpunk twenty seventy seven might be an example of very imperfect art, <laughs> but for me, the world building and you can see the strong foundations of something that can be great in a few months' time. For me, that that's really where I've come from, and the ability to lose myself in that. And the same with Mandalorian as well. It's it's been revolutionary how they've managed to create such a great world. When you think about the amount of characters in it compared to a normal TV series, 
we've got what a cast of maybe 10 15 at the outset be really interesting and you'll you'll get some cannon fodder as well but most of the episodes are very tight on their casting and the amount of people speaking mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. all right so shall we recap for people who've missed any of them so for me Cyberpunk 2077 and The Mandalorian, the two most biggest things and my favourite things of the year. Matt? So for me it was The Last of Us 2 as a game and music-wise it's Liz Lawrence and her album Pity Party. And Keith? I picked uh, as a film Bill and Ted Face the Music and then on the smaller screen was um, the BBC's Ghosts. And um, Lee, to finish us off? Uh, my game was Ori and the Will of the Wisps, and my album will eventually become Level 11 by Miracle Sound. <laughs> I'm really looking forward to listening to both these albums now. Thank you for joining us on the Geeky Brummy podcast this week. Joining me today was Mr. Lee Price. Lee, where can we find you details online? Uh, you can find me on YouTube at Bob Pathetic Ferret, uh, which is also supported by Patreon at Bob Pathetic Ferret, and I update what's going on on the channel on Twitter at Bob Pathetic Ferret. And I also just tweet out more generally at the Cheap Ferret. And you can find Lee and Matt's Gaming Roundup every Friday, or most Fridays, depending on time of scheduling, on the Geeky Brewery website at geekybrewery.com. And talking off, Matt, where can we find you online? You can find me on Twitter at Mr. Matt Level, or you can find me on Instagram at matchstick underscore Matt. And Keith, where can we find your gracious presence online? Mostly at the moment, you can find me on Wednesdays on the Geek, uh, taking over the Geeky Brummy Twitter and also doing the comics blog post on the website. But if you're interested in me as a person, an individual, um, not part of the Geeky Brummy Collective, uh, then you can just see me retweeting all of the things that Geeky Brummy put out through their channel on my own Twitter, which is hardbook underscore hotel. Uh, or you can marvel at my artistic and wonderful black and white photography um, at the moment, black and white, but it might go colour later on i think you know move with the times go color uh in instagram at hard look with no underscore hotel which means hard look hotel but not hard look no underscore hotel so you don't need to put the no, no underscore bit in that one i've just confused the issue there haven't i that's terrible you always remind me of jesse from the saturday would you say this week i have you mostly tweeting this, this week i have been mostly tweeting comics <laughs> This week I have been mostly tweeting pop tarts. <laughs> this week I have been mostly tweeting Tara Masalata. <laughs> which is my always favourite one. And now we're going to feel really old because that's a reference from the mid- mid-90s BBC 2. <laughs> yeah. This week I have been mostly wearing Dolce and Gabbana. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, the fashion. That's great. Yeah. And you can find me at Ryan Parish on Twitter when I remember to log in. Uh, probably Gourmand. Uh, probably not as much MasterChef stuff now it's finished. But um, I'm sure there'll be another food show along shortly for me to moan about online. And Just do Sugar Rush reviews off, off Netflix. Oh, no. Nailed it. <laughs> <laughs> and you can find us all at Geeky Rummy on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, geekyrummy.com, and YouTube forward slash Geeky Rummy. Uh, if you've not had a chance, our Advent Calendar series has been good fun to put together. So go and check it out. I'll put the playlist in the show description. But uh, from all of us, hope you really, hope you've had a survivable 2020, and we look forward to seeing you in 2021. But for now, bye everybody. Happy bye. holidays, everybody. Bye. All. I like that we all wave then, even though this is an audio <laughs> recording. <laughs> bye. <laughs>